Live from Utrecht. This is Bitcoin. Explained. I love it. Sure, uh, here we are again. It feels very retro. We it just does. recorded three quarters of, of an episode before you realized you weren't actually recording anything. Yep. There's yeah. this little device and you have to put the uh, the SD card in it. Otherwise, you'll press the record button and you'll see all the uh, the volume and all that stuff. It looks very good, but there's no counter. Yeah, I think that used to happen almost every time in the first couple of months. No, so it's, it's I think we've only done it once. No, more than a few minutes. we done it. What? No, we did it all the time, George. Oh. Did you forget about that? Maybe I suppressed the memory. Anyways, uh, so this time I hope you're recording and we're going to go for take two. I see a clock ticking, so that's good. Nice. We're going to discuss burying softworks. All right. Yeah, this is one of these topics that I sort of knew was a thing that was sometimes discussed by developers, uh, but also based on the discussion that I was sort of, you know, eyeing on the Bitcoin development mailing list, I could tell that it was kind of a niche, not super important, kind of big deal sort of thing that, you know, only developers that are very far into the weeds kind of cared about. So I never really paid attention to it. But then we were desperate to find a new topic (laughs) and I found it and you found it interesting. Yeah, I thought it was actually kind of interesting. It's one of these topics that, you know, it might be niche, but it still has some sort of broader implications about, you know, how do we think about Bitcoin or... In a way, uh, I've always found protocol changes the most interesting part of Bitcoin because it kind of gives you a very existential idea of what Bitcoin actually is. Like if it can change, then you can sort of think about, you know, what conditions can you change it then or what what is Bitcoin then? You can get very philosophical about it if you want to, but I don't think we're really going to do that today, but we are going to discuss um, burying software. So yeah, we have discussed Taproot and Taproot activation in multiple episodes it's so far. It's a five-episode epic story. It's like a mini-series within our podcast. Um, from start to finish, we sort of covered the whole Taproot activation saga. And in a way, this is a new entry in that in that miniseries. So I like it. That's and right. Probably the last one. Uh, probably this will be the last entry because at this point we're going to discuss, you know, the, the soft work happened, activation happened. It all went great. Um, and at this point, the question is sort of how do we move forward? from there how do we now retroactively kind of deal with the activation code and with the with taproot and that's what burying softworks is about yeah so the- one analogy that can be used although we'll get to the, the philosophical discussion about that um is that activation code is a scaffold it's like when you have a you know when there's a software it's like building a new house and and when you're building the house there's a scaffold next to it and then the question is what do you do with the scaffold when the house is done and that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Can we just remove it somehow? Yeah. So this has happened before, uh, but soft burying soft forks. It's not a completely new concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is being discussed again, uh, at, at least sort of on GitHub, not really on the Bitcoin dev list this time, I, I think, because I guess Bitcoin core developers have already sort of agreed that this is kind of the way to go. Well, it's still open, so. All right. Uh, so it is being discussed again, but it has happened before. So I'll just let, let you explain, Shores, what does it mean? What is burying a soft fork? Well, I think you wanted to recap first what a soft fork is. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, let's very, start very with brief. that. You're right. 
for those listeners that don't know that. But, it's also yeah, relevant yeah. to explain how the burying works. So okay. um, a soft fork is a tightening of the rules. And intuitively, you might think, oh, what? Why? How do you get new features when you have less rules? Well, we've explained this in earlier episodes, but basically uh, Bitcoin has a lot of ways to throw away money. And so so you can, you can make all sorts of addresses, quote unquote, uh, that you can send coins to, and then anybody can take the money from those addresses. And generally, you don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't even need a signature. There's just no requirements. You can just take the money from these output, outputs or yeah. addresses, like and, you say. And so what a software does in practice, at least some softworks do, is to say, well, there's now going to be slightly fewer ways to throw away your money. So if you make this specific type of transaction, we're now going to call that taproot. And you can only spend that with a valid Schnorr signature, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas before the software, you could just take them, take those coins. Right. And this ties into the burying of the software because it turns out that if you look back at the history of the blockchain and you, you see how many people have actually thrown away their money in the past in a way that's, um, that would now be called taproot, turns out that's only happened once. So there's only one historical transaction that happens before taproot activated where somebody sent money to something that we now call a taproot address. And more importantly, they somebody else took that money. And that taking of the money would not be compliant with the modern uh, taproot rules. Yes. Well, so, actually, I'll have to correct you there a little bit. So uh, actually, several people sent money to a taproot address before taproot was active. But only one took it. Yes. It's only been taken one time. Now, sending to such an address was always okay, of course, and it's still okay, and that was never a problem. It's a taken from that address that since Taproot is active, you cannot do that anymore. Yep. But before Taproot was active, you could just take that money. That's right. Okay. And so this is this presents an opportunity to look at the Bitcoin Core source code, which you know, currently just says, um, you know, wait, you know, when you see the blockchain for the first time, you think the whole thing, you look at the signaling, and then after a while, uh, you've, you've seen that the speedy trial activated, and now you're going to apply the new rules to the new blocks. What you can do instead is say, don't worry about the signaling, just apply the tablet rules from the Genesis block onwards, pretend that tablet has always existed, uh, with one exception. And that exception would be hard-coded in, in the source code, saying, well, tablet is always active except for this specific block. Yes, and that block would be the block that includes the transaction that I just mentioned that took these coins and yeah, they were sent to uh, Brink actually. It, there's a okay. there's a blog post. It was while we're discussing it. Let me just mention that real quick. So it was actually taken by, or at least the Bitcoin developer named Zero XB10C. He sort of initiated, and then it was included by F2 Pool, and it was sent so. The, these coins that were were sent to Brink at the time. Oh, that's very nice. Not very important in the context of the rest of this episode, but no. And it a turns out something like this has happened in the past with Pip um, sixteen that introduced the, the uh, back in two thousand twelve that introduced pay to script hash. Uh, there was also one exception block, so there has been there is precedent of having an exception block in the Bitcoin source code in this way. So the taproot would just have another exception block. And with, so let me recap that real quick. Because and with, I, okay. And with SegWit, I just add is there is no exception necessary. Right. So SegWit rules can be applied from the Genesis block perfectly. There's there's no exception. Right. Yes. Okay. So if you currently run a Bitcoin Core node, 
better yet if you sync a Bitcoin core node. So mm -hmm. if you start from the Genesis block, you start from the very first block that you know was released by Satoshi, and then you go through the entire blockchain to verify every transaction and every block. Then what your code, what your Bitcoin core node is currently doing is at some point it will see, it will check if there is blockchain signaling going on. And then it sees that there is in fact blockchain signaling going on. And then from a certain block, it will start to enforce the taproot rule. That's how a Bitcoin core node right now works when it mm -hmm. comes to taproot. And then this proposal, which has been done with other softworks before, is that it will actually start applying the taproot rules from block zero, from block from the very beginning, with the exception for this one block that has an invalid spend in it under the taproot rules, and we'll just ignore that. Right? This is the yep. recap. This is right. this is how it would work. So, what are the benefits of implementing this in Bitcoin Core? So there. Why, are... why is it better to start from block zero? Yeah. So I think the first thing to say is that this is not a dramatic benefit that we're going to talk about. It's somewhat marginal. Uh, however, we're dealing with very critical code, so the the less headache basically for developers, the the more likely they spend their time finding real bugs. Um, it it basically first of all it makes the code a little bit simpler, but that's that's very marginal. So instead of saying after this block do X, it says do X all the time except for this block. Right. Um, and the other side is that it makes testing the code easier. So Bitcoin Core itself has tests that are run in something called the uh, reg test framework uh, mm -hmm. from regression. Um, and these these tests, what these tests do is they simulate a fresh blockchain. So with a fresh Genesis block or maybe the real Genesis block, and then they create very low difficulty blocks. So they very quickly can build a blockchain with 100 blocks or 200 blocks on it. And then they can, you know, check all the rules basically. So there's a test that says, okay, make sure that before Taproot activates, these rules apply and these blocks are still valid. And then after Taproot activates, you want to, you know, the test might check that the Taproot rules are actually enforced. And so if you just pretend that Taproot has always been there, 1984 style, then uh, it, then basically the test can be simplified because you only need to test for the enforcement of Taproot rules. You don't have to test anymore for pre-activation scenarios. So that's a, basically a simplification there. Right. So you've now mentioned two benefits. One of them, it cleans up the actual code of the, of the Bitcoin Core code base. And the other way is it simplifies tests that you might run because now there's less scenarios. Well, those tests are in the Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Those tests are in the Bitcoin source code too. So yeah, there's fewer permutations to test, right? Especially if you add up multiple softwares. Like, okay, we have the test before SegWit, but after, and then after SegWit, but before Taproot. Those kind of combinations. Okay, so I think we can actually summarize it as it just cleans up the code. It's a it's a code cleanup. Yep. And the idea is essentially that the soft fork activated so long ago that it doesn't really make a difference. Am I saying well, that right? Well, we'll I, get to that. I think okay. there's a second part to the cleanup that I want to emphasize, and then we can say okay know, what what it that analogy. The second thing is now that we've said Taproot has always existed, as in you know the nineteen eighty four example, mm -hmm. we still have these signals that happened in blocks, and well, there's no point in looking at those signals anymore because we've already said Segwit is always there or Taproot is always there. So why do we look at the signals? Uh, so so the second cleanup would be to simply not check those signals anymore, so to remove the speedy trial essentially in this mm -hmm. case, um, and that has. Again, somewhat of an, uh, a benefit for developers 
what it allows developers to do is say, hey, we want to change the activation mechanism itself. Maybe we want to change the BIP9 system to something more like a BIP8 system. And then we can just change the change the code, basically. We don't have to copy the code and write a new piece of code. We can change it entirely because the code is no longer used for anything. So it's safer to just change it. Again, that's that's marginal, but it's still nice. Yeah, and it's also still code cleanup, right? That's that's the benefit essentially. Yeah, so especially if you see if you understand that bib eight, at least the simple version of bib eight with lot is false that we talked about, um, is is essentially simpler than bib nine. So yeah, you you can actually maybe remove some code net, but I don't know. If well, that wasn't really the point I was getting out at. I was just in general just not having to check for the activation signals for the specific soft fork. Yeah, it saves again a little bit of code. Yeah. yeah. So that makes I don't I don't that makes a lot of sense to me. I can barely think of any downsides to that and that is sort of what you were getting at earlier you mentioned scaffolds, right? I think that was in this recording, not in the one we <laughs> erased. Yeah, we brought it up in this or, recording. Or, yeah. or maybe in both. Anyway, so yeah, that so for the second benefit you're basically removing the scaffolds it activated everyone agreed that it activated on this specific block and uh, yeah arguably both are scaffolds because the idea that um, you're going to start applying rules from a certain block is also a scaffold compared to just applying the rules all the time well i but it, i think I mean, that's where the discussion comes in so let i think we're ready for sort of point out where some of the disagreement stems from yep, right we're ready right so We've just mentioned that the main benefits are all kind of code cleanup related. They benefit, you could argue they benefit developers, uh, you know, indirectly anything that benefits developers benefits users because developers work for users. But yeah. they are things that benefit developers and they shouldn't affect users. And they arguably don't affect users. But there are some edge cases where it could actually affect users. So yeah. when we were discussing uh, at the beginning of the episode, I think that was this one and not the one we erased, I hope. We mentioned anyways that um, a software can, in fact, split the blockchain or even a hard fork. Any... No, I don't think we've said that in this recording yet. So yeah. Okay, maybe do you want to point it out? Well, I'll just point it out. So basically a software, either a software or a hard fork can split the blockchain between yeah. users that are using the old rules and users that are using the new rules. Now, the great benefit of Softwork is that if a majority of hash power is enforcing the Softwork rules, then the chain should not split, and the chain should then then the upgrade should be backwards compatible, as they call it. Yeah. All right. Now, which means that people do not have to upgrade their nodes immediately. Uh, right. When there is a soft fork, and that's kind of nice because yeah. we don't want to force people to upgrade. Yeah, they can upgrade a bit later if they want, or potentially even never. Okay. Um, in this case, a new Bitcoin Core node would assume that the taproot rules have always applied. Mm -hmm. Now, what this means is that, and this is the edge case, if there is a very big reorg, so someone starts mining on top of a block from a year ago or whatever it is, and that someone may, you know, aliens have come to Earth, I think is the analogy you... Yeah, you it's use. either the aliens 
or the um, or some secret government agency. Yeah, someone has a lot of hash power for whatever reason. They start mining on a block from a year ago, and they actually claim the longest chain. Now, yep. in that chain, they make a transaction that is, and and they do this before the original taproot activation block. They make a transaction that breaks the taproot rules. That's right. So all nodes, all Bitcoin Core nodes, for example, will accept this chain because it's the longest valid chain. While new Bitcoin Core nodes who are enforcing all their taproot rules, no, sorry, who are enforcing taproot rules from the beginning, they will reject this chain because it's an invalid chain. Yeah, so, so basically when, when a new chain appears, what the node will do is it will just roll back its its blockchain. It'll just like basically do everything in reverse. And when all the coins that are spent are recreated um, until it gets to the forking point and then it follows the longest chain all the way up, checking, checking the rules for that new longest chain. And so if it goes, indeed, if it goes before taproot activation, then, yeah, taproot rules didn't apply. If, you, if, if you're an old node, you would you would say okay taproot is no longer active because you've gone back in time and those blocks can just do whatever they want but if you're a new node under this this little cleanup you're going to say no 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 taproot rules are always active so if if anything violates taproot rules i'm going to complain so that means if if the new blocks are written you know at the low enough then yeah it's going to be a problem yeah and it, it could even it, be worse like taproot could never activate at all according to the old nodes because if you go back before the speedy trial, if the aliens basically reorg back to 2020, they then and then replay again, they might just decide to not signal for taproot and say net taproot never happened. Now the the reason we don't care about that this much is that this scenario is really 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 bad. And so the analogy might be to say, well, if all of the Netherlands is flooded, are we really going to argue about this street name in Rotterdam that you know we have issues about? Right, yes. The arguments, I'll just, you explain it clearly, I think, but still to re reiterate. The argument is that if a uh, reorg happens that is this bad, then Bitcoin is screwed either way and it's not worth considering uh, even, essentially, right? Or maybe at least you probably have to do some human intervention to decide what, what on earth you're going to do about this situation because it means that Probably lots of people's coins won't won't exist anymore. Um, yeah, all the transactions may or may not be replayed again. So unless you bought Bitcoin in 2011 and you just huddled and never moved them, you're going to be impacted by this event. And the whole point of a money system, you know, kind of goes away if 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 that much changes. It's, yeah, it's very so similar to in a fiat system. If if suddenly your bank account is zero or a million, depending on some random historical glitch. Are you really going to just keep on going with the bank balance or are you going to do something else? It's a, it's a big disaster if this happens. Yeah, well, so on the other side of the debate is, for example, uh, Eric Poskow, who's the lead developer of LibBitcoin. Mm -hmm. And he argues, or at least one of his argument, arguments is that this threshold that you just... Like, at what point is this the case? At what point doesn't it matter anymore that there's a big reorg? Like, is it after a day? Is it after two days? Is it after a week, two weeks? Like, where is this threshold? Yeah. And, you know, he, I guess he values consistency a lot when it comes to these kinds of things. And his argument would be, 
or is i think well i i need to be careful to represent his arguments because i might well it, he, he might disagree with yeah. m- my explanation of it we, we but, could say a hypothetical argument could be whether or not somebody right, makes the maybe argument. that's maybe that's better yeah um the, the only consistent argument there is that there is no threshold it's just for each you know each block you need to assign a probability that it that it going to make reorgs harder so the more confirmations you have it will just make a reorg harder and harder and harder and that's kind of how we apply it already like you know one confirmation is not as secure as two confirmation is not as secure as three and this change would imply that there's some hard cutoff to that logic rather than it's just always going to be incrementally safer to wait longer now there is actually a real cutoff because Old, very old versions of Bitcoin Core use checkpoints, but that hasn't been done for uh, for many many years. But a checkpoint basically meant that that specific block had to exist. So there are a couple of blocks in the source code that say this block must exist, otherwise the chain is not valid. Yes, but that's uh, not you know that is itself also controversial. Yeah, that's and why I think it's good that those don't exist anymore. Right, exactly. But this is not as strong as a checkpoint. It, it the only thing you could argue, and I think maybe that's what what Foscal was arguing is that the fact that you're now retroactively, in a certain sense, activating Taproot is, is in a way a hard fork. No, I, it, or, is in a, it is in a way a checkpoint. I, I mean, it's like... Well, a, a checkpoint it, it says it, this it specific has, block has to exist. Yes. But this it just has, says these rules have to apply, right. regardless of what the blocks are. I, no, sure, but it does have sort of the similar implications for it because you're yeah. assuming that before that block, no split could have possibly happened otherwise you would have to check right am i saying that right i think so well i mean the problem you know the problem with checkpoints is you could have almost completely arbitrary like rules right it gives too much power to the people who decide what is a checkpoint but i think in the case of taproot you don't have that discussion because it's not that by having this rule or by not having this rule the taproot is always active it doesn't really matter that much. It's like there's not a specific person who stands to benefit from whether or not that rule happens. We, we can't predict what the disaster is going to look like. So that's why I, th- I think it's not as bad as a checkpoint. So, yeah, whether or not it's a checkpoint or some kind of che- checkpoint or some kind of subcategory of a checkpoint is may- maybe not the important part. The important part here is that one group of developers, or I guess mostly in Bitcoin Core, figure that if there's a reorg, this big, then Bitcoin is screwed anyways. Well, someone like Foscal will argue, you know, the, there's no single point where you can make that argument. There's no point where Bitcoin will be dead if the, if, if the reorg is that bad. It's just, you know, it gets incrementally worse for, you know, every extra block that's being reorged. Yeah. But there's no objective point you can point to. And therefore, the only sort of logic that you can apply is simply longest valid chain. That's what will you... Yeah. except to be Bitcoin. So this reminded me of the other argument that you can have here, um, which is, do we look at only the blockchain? Like, should nodes only look at the blockchain or should nodes keep into account sort of the social consensus? And that gets back to what signaling means. Uh, is signaling something that must occur on the blockchain and then a software is active? Or is it a way to coordinate the activation of a new set of rules in a point in, in and so in, in sense in essence does a software activate on a chain or does it activate in a chronological point in you know the space-time continuum 
So can we say as of November 21 or whatever date it was, 2021, Taproot is active. If you produce blocks in the future, even no matter what the height of those new blocks is, it's still after November 21, 2022. And therefore you should know that Taproot is active and you should just enforce it. That That is, uh, of course, also a philosophical question you can have. Yeah, and if you, I'm if not you sure. Agree, if you agree with the latter, if you say Taproot should be considered active after a chronological point in time, well, then this deep reorg is not a problem because you'll you'll enforce Taproot. Yo, what is going on, guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamline infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what, Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even Normie Plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes and Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. Well, I think there's two issues here, um, or, or at least there's one thing to point out, and I think that's what you're getting at. Uh, so there are sort of two visions on what the activation logic is in the first place. Mm -hmm. So everyone agrees you know basically what a soft fork is and that's you know, you've explained it a couple of minutes ago and i think everyone will agree on that but then there's the activation of the soft fork sort of the activation logic like you must signal or or you know, the, the signaling logic itself which is something some developers will itself consider a soft fork while other developers will argue that's the word you used before. Is it, that's scaffolding. That shouldn't be considered a consensus change. So I think that the argument, at least if you hold the second opinion of, of removing the signaling logic from the code, that's a much easier argument to make, which I also mentioned before, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, we presented mm -hmm. these these two parts of the burying, right? So the first part is we're going to apply the rules from Genesis, and the second part is we don't check the rules. And in that order... That's one way to look at it in that order, but you can look at it in the other order. I guess that's what you're saying now if you if you just drop the signaling uh, requirement. Yeah, but you were making a point about social consensus applying to time, well, but you can, still, remember... you can still apply social consensus to the blockchain itself. So you can still argue that there's no reason for the signaling other than informing people that a soft work is happening. 
while still applying it to the actual blockchain and therefore accepting that a soft fork didn't happen if there's a big reorg, even though we're past a certain date. You could, right? but if you go back to the history of soft forks, um, you know, we did that in, <clears throat> in another episode, but basically the, the, the reason miners started signaling you know, that that wasn't the case. The earliest softworks in Satoshi's code were just activating at a certain height. That was a problem. So the idea was to have miners signal for it, and there were various ways to, to do that signaling, and eventually we ended up with PIP9. But the reason for the signaling is to make sure that miners actually upgrade and are actually ready. And there's no reason well, to assume that with a big reorg, they're suddenly unready. <clears throat> they would have to downgrade their software, basically. Well, that's that's not something everyone agrees on, sure. That, that's fine. I'm just that's that's sort of the point I'm trying to make. If that is your interpretation, if the interpretation is uh, we use the signaling in a in the actual history of the of Earth, just to say okay, now all the miners are ready. They have the latest software. They can force taproot. Then there's no reason to assume that when there's a deep reorg, they're certainly unready. Uh, but you can also have the sort of the blockchain centric perspective where you say no, there is no reality outside the blockchain uh, and outside this this code. And in that case, you might say, no, if, if time is undone, it's like real time travel. We've really changed history and, and Taproot never happened or did or some other time. That right. That is the potential discussion you can have. Yeah, well, that's interesting you bring it up. I, th I think that's right. So that these are sort of two ways of looking at signaling, whether it's informing miners or really yeah. whether it really means readiness signaling, which is definitely a term that has been used, but... Recently, during the Taproot debate, there was also sort of this idea that signaling is really for users. So users know that a certain change will activate, which also allows them to fork off if they disagree with the change, for example. And that's sort mm -hmm. of really the reason for signaling. So I sure, I think we're getting really into the weeds at this point. I think it's interesting, but I'm yeah. Now we, we might shown... be losing some listeners that's, by now. That's fine. We've shown the readers, uh, the listeners, sorry, where the... Uh... Um, where the weed is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> where the weed is? Yeah, maybe not the best <laughs> analogy. We've shown them very deep into the rabbit hole. Um, they can they can explore more for themselves by just reading these mailing list threads. Uh, we'll probably put them in the show notes. Yeah, no, uh, there's one uh, other thing we do need to bring up. Uh, okay, we're jumping around now, so the episode's getting confusing. Sorry, uh, confusing. Sorry people. But there is this other... Sort of what it ultimately comes down to, this discussion, I think, is whether burying a soft fork, as we've, this, as we've explained throughout this episode, whether that should be considered a consensus change or not. And by extension, whether it should be considered, whether it should be a BIP, Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. So... If you see it as a, a consensus BIP, because you can have an informational BIP that's not a consensus BIP. Yeah. Can you though? I, you, I, you can basically write a BIP that says, "Hey, if you're writing this type of, if you're writing a full note, you could consider burying the soft fork because it will make your life easier. But keep in mind that you know if this this time travel thing happens, you have a problem." It's not really the point of BIPs, though, Shores, is it? Well, we've we've done an episode about BIPs. Yeah, so there so are informational BIPs <laughs> and there are consensus BIPs. Well, but yeah, but they need to be relevant for other nodes. Well, they they are. It's it's good to explain to other nodes what you've done in your implementation that you know under extreme circumstances can make a difference. Well, anyway. you could you can make 
very general informational BIP of this is a thing you can do, but then that BIP doesn't need to include the specific block height, right? That doesn't record. Well, that's the debate then. Is this a consensus change? In other words, if there would be this big of a reorg, should we expect all nodes to accept this reorg uh, or or reject it? Like, so, should so they this, do the same thing? Yeah, so this comes down to the little street in Rotterdam situation or, that I was talking hang, about. Hang on, let me finish the sentence. Or is this just a thing that developers can do as a shortcut in their own code? And then, essentially, if it does go wrong, that's the wrong problem. That's a problem of that specific implementation that would essentially mean that that specific implementation has forked itself of the network. I think if you really go into this debate, that's sort of ultimately what it's about. And that's why I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you know consensus changes are kind of interesting because it sort of says something about how do you define Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? Yeah. And this is an example where that actually applies. Like if in this unlikely scenario would happen, then would the buried version be the real Bitcoin? The, the, the nodes that have the buried software, would that be the real Bitcoin? Or would they fork themselves off of the real Bitcoin network? Yeah, so and, so we're talking about a specific deep reorg that yes. actually violates the taproot rule, right? right? Because there is a good chance that that they don't violate taproot in the deep reorg. Sure. So I think in general, it's a good idea to think about an extreme scenario like this. Um, but if I think if you do that, you'll end up thinking, you know, you'll end up seeing this is a really big problem. There's all sorts of things we need to solve in such an event. And this little thing about buried consensus rules is somewhere on the to-do list of that giant project of, okay, what are we going to do? Like, is, is there some threshold that we say if this alien shows up? I guess in general, we need a scenario of what to do with the aliens. The aliens might have extreme hash power. They might be able to just completely, you know, double spend everyone on the planet because they have some, some you know, some alien ASIC that can double spend any block and at any depth and they can create reorgs out of spite. So, or the secret government agency, basically. It might be useful to have a plan for that. I just think that this won't be the most interesting part of the plan because it's a really bad situation. And it probably means Bitcoin would be completely broken in that case. But maybe not. Maybe there is a rational well, way to deal that, with it. That, that's the difference of opinion, right? Some people like Eric Fosco will say Bitcoin isn't broken. Bitcoin is working as intended. Long as valid chain still applies. There, there was a long reorg. That's part of the Bitcoin consensus system. Yeah, but the, the question is, can you use it for practical transactions if that can happen again and again and again and again? I would probably say no. It's just the same reason with lots of altcoins that try to use SHA-256 and those altcoins are completely, you know, yeah, technically they're still valid change. It's just that nobody uses them anymore. So, so I think it's good to have some sort of thought about what to do with the alien invasion. So is it is it I, I wanna close off this episode, but I wanna ask you then, Shorts personally, like should this be considered consensus change? Consensus change? No, I, I think this Or is this a this is sort developer of, shortcut? I think this is at their own risk. Yeah, I think it's a developer shortcut, but it's that the the idea of a, a one year reorg is undefined behavior, I think. So the I think there is no consensus rule for a one year reorg. That's my opinion. It's just, it's a disaster that's not been, been worked out. There's just no contingency plan. It's like saying, what do we do if the 55 nukes go off over Amsterdam? You know, what's the, can you still go into a hospital without a mask? I don't know. It's undefined. 
but maybe it should be defined. I mean, I guess I disagree with you. I think it's defined so long as valid chain. But that's it. That's fine. <laughs> well, then I guess that's the episode, yours. That's right. We've, we've reached the point. We've we've kept pulling the threads to the point where sort of the disagreement emerges. I think of the broader discussion. Yeah. Uh, I hope our listeners could follow. I th I think it was maybe a bit messy because a uh, complicated topic, but uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, especially the the fact that we ex we're talking about hip hypothetical time machines in a situation <laughs> where we lost one recording. In other words, we also have this hypothetical time machine. Did we say this before? Was it really said? Because we said it without recording it. I'm sure that didn't um, help, yeah. So anyway, thank you all for listening to Bitcoin Explained. <laughs>